Hey guys, it's Zach from Vanessa House. We're really excited about some beers we got coming out this weekend. We've got Undersugared. It's going to be a big, bold Imperial Stout featuring Chips Ahoy cookies in there. We just didn't feel like we got enough sugar from the from the grain itself, so we added some Chips Ahoy cookies in there just to give it a little extra. And, and man, we just tried it off the sample port a couple hours ago, and it, it's tasty. We're excited about it, and you can come get it in four packs here at the tap room. I also hate Brady, <laughs> so just remember that. Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast. Brought to you by New Balance of Edmond, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham. Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been for all these years. Boomer Sooner. And we're here at Vanessa House Beer Company, downtown Oklahoma City, 8th and Broadway. Having a good time as always. Love this place. They always take great care of us on Thursdays where we are always here for the Inside OU podcast. Keegan Renault, Brady Trantham. Uh, stay tuned after Keegan and I are talking the Big 12 Championship. Some recruiting, I'm sure, as National Signing Day, early National Signing Day was yesterday. And whatever else we want to get into, all Big 12 ranking or all Big 12 team rankings and award winners. Oh, that has to be talked about. But yeah, stay tuned. Uh, Road Warrior, our conversation will be after this podcast. So, uh, big show for you guys to tide you over the boring Friday because I know no one's going to be watching the Thunder uh, preseason round two game against the Chicago Bulls, even though I'll be there. <laughs> oh, God, it was terrible. It was so bad. It was awful. But big podcast tied you over for the big game on Saturday at 11. But Keegan... Let's get into, I mean, where, where should we start? Because signing day was yesterday, and that was, you know, a big hoopla. And it seems like every single year, signing day, whether it's the early signing day or, you know, the classic one in February, there's just less fanfare because we kind of understand. If you're s- somewhat plugged into recruiting. It was recruiting, all done by 10 o'clock. Yeah, if you're just somewhat plugged into recruiting, and I would consider myself that, because I'm not that big on, on recruiting, you know this, but I have an understanding of who he's going to get who is up in the air, who they're definitely not going to get. It doesn't really matter when the day is. It's just like get it over with and then you move on. So we can get into that if you want, or we can talk about what set Twitter on fire earlier today when the coaches, Big 12, first team, second team players were announced. And OU had three first teamers. They were Jeremiah Hall, well-deserved. Gabe Burkich, well-deserved, I guess, because I think there was another kicker who only missed one kick kick this season in the Big 12 and who am I with? Creed Humphrey who was the offensive lineman of the year in the conference. straight year for Oklahoma to have there the you go as Orlando Brown Creed tweeted. Humphrey who played average for the at times for the most of the times <laughs> this year won the offensive lineman of the year we'll, we'll get to why that's probably a thing after this that's it those are the only three players offense defense on the first team from Oklahoma uh I get, I, here's my thing. I only have a problem <laughs> with one. The fact that Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the first team all Big 12 is frustrating. Yeah. Um, and then because it's mostly a stats award. Now, the coaches, this and that, they do, they've watched the film. They're the ones who make these decisions. But it's a stats award for the most part. It's a stats award. Unless, it, unless you're talking about quarterbacks. And then I guess, sorry, there's complaint number there, two. There's lifetime achievement award kind of factor that goes into all this with Sam Ellinger. Yeah, like Garrett Wallow from TCU had no business <laughs> being on the all-first-team Big 12. 
the thing about postseason awards in college football, you say it's a stats thing, and that's that's probably true as well. I've always thought it's it has more to do with did people know your name before the season started? Basically, did people have an eye on you as a player going into the season? And then the other part of the equation is did you put up some numbers? Did you put up anything positive? And and also, is your team kind of good? And that's how that happens. My biggest example that I always will always point to when I talk about that is 2007, the Buckus Award, which Curtis Lofton did not win. He was not – I don't even think he was in the top three or even got sent to Orlando, wherever the awards ceremony was. And it was because Curtis Lofton was a, a no-name nationally, even a no-name in the Big 12. I mean, people locally knew who Curtis Lofton was out of Kingfisher. But he was a first-year starter in 07 and had an incredible year, but no postseason fanfare because, oh, we didn't know who he was, so sorry, there's no hype, therefore no award. And I think nowadays with how positionless uh, Oklahoma's defense is kind of becoming and just the landscape of college football, your biggest, your other big gripe was, hey, Nick Benito is not a linebacker. Oh, my. <laughs> that's see, And that's the thing. Is I, I, I made that joke, but it's true. Like, even next year, which if you take what Eddie Radosovich quote tweeted, and that was big J journalism by him to find it. I'm kidding. But Jamar Kane says that everybody's returning from his room, which is quite interesting. But if Nick Benito returns next year, when he does, I guess, him being listed as a DN next year is going to be very important for his awards. It's a Mark Andrews type deal yes. where he needs to put his hand in the dirt up certain percentage of play so he can win the Mackey because he would then be considered a tight end. Yeah, and the, and the other big thing, like you, what we're saying, is that like Nick Benito wasn't on either first team or second team. Like Isaiah Thomas at least was. Spencer Rattler wasn't. Isaiah, the fact that Nick Benito and Spencer Rattler, two of the better players in the overall conference, didn't make the all-conference teams today is just baffling. Yeah. Um, baffling. Obviously, Brock Purdy is the – First team all oh, Big 12 quarterback. Can't wait to get into this. And then Sam Ellinger is number two. <laughs> so back to what I was saying about the Lifetime Achievement Award factor in some of these awards. Look, I, I know this is voted on by the coaches, and it's a podcast, but I just use the quotation fingers. I know it's voted on by the coaches. It's voted on by their staff. It's voted on by their, their Mike Houck or whatever. Look, Iowa State's had a – a program year. Uh, I saw a tweet earlier today that the last time they had won a conference championship, uh, it was before World War One, and also someone had mentioned in the in that mention of that tweet that their conference title was won closer to the Thomas Jefferson presidency than it was the Joe Biden presidency to be. Once that rolls around in January, so that kind of puts it into perspective. So when Iowa State, a program of that caliber, that I just mentioned has a good year and has some guys that you're splitting hairs between, you know, like a, between a uh, insert OU skill position guy here or Iowa state guy. They're probably going to go the Iowa state route because when am I ever going to vote for an Iowa state cyclone (laughs) in this, like in this element. So I I wonder if that kind of played into it, but I will say this. There are Cyclone fans out there that are like me, Keegan, that they're, they're crazy, they're paranoid, they're passionate about their team, and they look at stuff like this and they go, why the hell did you put this out now? 
Yeah. <laughs> there is a point to we that. We already knew OU was going to be motivated for, you know, payback, but that doesn't always guarantee a win. But now you're pissing off the best unit on their team, which is their defensive line. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. I thought it was funny that Ronnie Perkins was complaining today because, like, okay, Ronnie, you played in four games. Of course you're not going to be. The fact that they, they even gave you second team is an honor in that way. Yeah. But – um, That's pure eye test, and even that kind of comes with the we know we knew his name around the Big Twelve before the season started. Sure, yeah, he definitely fits into that kind of mode as well. Um, I just want to go through my complaints, just from just in general, like Garrett Wallow being over either of Oklahoma State's running backs was nuts. Um, yeah, didn't have too big of a complaint about Jaquan Bailey over over Isaiah Thomas. Probably would have worked out better for him. But Rodarius Williams, nor, nor Colby Harvell Peel in the secondary from Oklahoma State making first team is ridiculous. Nobody from Oklahoma or Oklahoma State making first team all Big 12 defense. Yeah. Spencer Rattler not being first team quarterback. And then Nick Benito, a guy that I've mentioned too, another guy, if you look at the stats, he's really good as well. And it backs up what I'm saying. That Justin Gardner, the corner, that's 6'2", the Juco guy that's at Kansas State, he wasn't listed on either, which is shocking to me. And then Trey Sterling, how he made didn't make second team Big Twelve is amazing. The safety from Oklahoma State. So there you go. Look, Oklahoma State had a bad ending to their year, but OU fans can tell you, like their defense is fairly legit, and that's why the forty one thirteen victory over Oklahoma State really means a lot. Because they scored forty one points against a very good defense. And albeit it wasn't pretty at half the time, but that's because they are a good defense. So I, I don't know. It's a weird year, and I guess weird things like this should be commonplace at this point. But uh, I, I can't help but think, all right, when the game starts at 11, I mean, Ronnie Perkins is going to bull rush on the first play. And let's let's If you want to get in, start getting in the game, I'm kind of down because that goes right into it. But just this – Actually, I had one more thing. I had one more question for you. Chuba Hubbard was second team all Big 12 running back. What the hell? Yeah, I don't know who who else in the Big 12 would have gotten it, I guess. Look at the Big 12 rushing leaders. It's it's Brees Hall with, what, 1,100 yards, 1,200 yards? Yeah, ridiculous, by the way. it's I mean, it's it's good, but that's I wouldn't say 1,200 yards is ridiculous. In, in 10 games? Yeah, I guess if, if you put it that way, but sure, whatever. But the rushing Re- in general, yes, it, it it's crazy. Yeah, right. it's a gigantic drop off to like 700 yards, 800 yards, and Chuba had like 640. Who was the who were the second team guys? Chuba and who? I don't know who the other one was. Because the it guy from Re- Texas Tech it, probably should have been up there. It wasn't Ramondre Stevenson, which that's fair. Which I, again, it kind of goes into Ronnie Perkins. I mean, it's an honor that you were it's you true. were named because Ramondre, Deuce Vaughn, <laughs> Chuba Hubbard, Letty Brown, Brees Hall. Yeah, I think the Roderick Thompson from Texas Tech. Oh, yeah, the guy who was knighted. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he should have been. But, no, it's, it's, it's crazy just to think, again, Isaiah Thomas was not a part of the Big 12 All-First team. Is nuts. It's nuts. And that's a player that coaches should respect. Yes. Like a guy that's been in, in the program for a long time, not heralded whatsoever, has kind of looked like throughout his career that it's just he's not going to be able to put it together. And then he became not just a dude, not just a rotational guy, but a guy that offenses had to account for and a guy that's playing his way into the NFL. I mean, I guess there is some thought that he could potentially come back and really skyrocket up the draft if he does this again next year. 
because he can come back next yeah. year if he so chose. But I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm Isaiah Thomas, I might just, you know, take my, take my chances and say if that's what it is and go to the league. But, um, Little, little shocking, but I guess we can go back into the Big Twelve Championship game on Saturday. Let's go, let's go. It's a big game. Look, I'm, I'm, it's kind of got my I like signing day is over. Brady, yeah, kind of got my juices flowing a little bit, a little bit. Now yeah. that I'm watching a little, I'm watching tape and everything. It's getting my juices flowing a little bit. Well, I'm glad because it is a big game. It's a big week. I mean, Oklahoma. I mean, I guess some of the optimism out of Ames is just going to be well. I mean. Oklahoma had a big signing day. I wonder if they uh, if it took any of their attention and focus away from game planning. Well, I mean, OU's had two weeks to prepare for this game. Yeah, <laughs> kind of three at this point. Oh, if, yeah. Like if if you want to take a huge deep dive into it, I'm not going to say that OU against Baylor, OU was looking ahead to anybody, but like they've they're going to be ready. They prepared. weren't necessarily looking ahead to anything more so than they were just not really focused on playing Baylor because they were focused on, I hope we can play football. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. I hope um, this doesn't get shut down. So like, here's the, th- here's perfect. If you want to start getting into this, and I think it's important to go back to the first game because I think it's important. And, and we've pointed this out, but I think it, 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 to go deep into the context of how Iowa state won in Ames for, to before we get going on I- any of the Iowa State for this round is extremely important. Oklahoma missed a ton of tackles, missed a ton of tackles for loss. They were in position defensively a lot. They had a ton of penalties that extend either extended drives or this and that, and they had a couple interceptions that they missed. And then he flipped around offensively. They struggled along the offensive line a little bit. Um, they had no running game because all they had was Seth McGowan. They they didn't. Um, to point on to that, though, at the end of the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, Oklahoma started running the football better because they got two tight ends on the field. That's where the whole whole season, whenever I've been saying Oklahoma can't run the football without two tight ends on the field, that's when that it started. Yeah. Um, so then Spencer Rattler struggled a couple times, and they couldn't run the football. So Oklahoma couldn't run the football against Baylor. That's a worry and concern. Um, that's kind of an unknown. Uh, but the one thing that we do know is that Oklahoma is taking advantage of, one, turnover opportunities. Most of, most of them are. And they're tackling. I think it was really important to learn Turner Yell tackled well against Baylor. Yes. I, I asked the question last week going up against Letty Brown from West Virginia. That would have been a really good test for Oklahoma, an important test for that defense in terms of tackling. If that game was played, how many West Virginia defensive players are not on the first team all Big 12? Because they didn't have to play Oklahoma's offense. That's Well, in <laughs> truth, this defense didn't get a chance to go out and play again. That's true. Um, because that West Virginia offensive line was not very good. <laughs> At all. But uh, but then and then you just go into this Iowa State game. You, you go into the context of Iowa State, um, took, blew the doors off of Kansas State and West Virginia down the stretch, barely beat Baylor, and Brock Purdy did not play good in that game. Um, and then really against Texas, I've, you saw me watching it. I'm through halftime of the rewatch. I'm going to be through the game here before too long. I'll have all the notes, all that up. Um they just – like, Brock Purdy just doesn't do it for me, man. And I think this is the perfect time to get into that. And I know we – he was first-team All-Big 12. He was a highly touted NFL prospect heading into the season. But I just don't get the love affair, Brady. I don't. I, I, I He doesn't step into his throws. He misses three, four, five throws a game that are right there. And he does not deal with pressure well. Now, he gets rid of the football. He doesn't get sacked a lot, which is a plus – 
But anytime that there's pressure, man, he gets happy. He gets happy feet. And, like, can he evade it? Yes. Can he make plays? Yes. He did against Oklahoma. Yeah. He got away from Nick Benito two or three times. But even then, he was throwing the football away in those uh, in those situations. On one of those Nick Benito pressures, he threw it directly to Patrick Fields. Yes. Which, you know, that that's the thing. That I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, that game was fluky because we all remember how average Oklahoma looked earlier in the year. Iowa State earned that game. But you can also kind of look at it as Iowa State accidentally won that football game because Oklahoma just did everything that they could to lose it. They didn't play well enough for four quarters to win that game, despite the fact that they had controlled it basically until Iowa State took the lead late. And then even on OU's last drive, I I have a distinct memory of OU moving the football, I think, for a first down or two, and the rhythm looked okay. And then Spencer Rattler just takes a deep shot on first down or second down. It was early in that uh, set of downs, and the ball was intercepted. Yeah. And – I mean, that's how a game like that should have been lost, just off of a, wow, that that's how this ends? Because OU just didn't deserve it. Now, Oklahoma is significantly better than they were on October 3rd. Or whenever, significantly. Yeah, when they were – and it has – The numbers – It has little to do with the fact that Ronnie and Ramondre are, are back on the team. Like, that helps, and it yeah. makes them better. But this team is better because Spencer Rattler got better. This team is better because T.J. Pledger – is a solid running back when called upon. This team got better because the offensive line got better, and then especially the most probably the most important thing, the secondary is not a complete and utter detriment anymore. Yeah, for sure. And I wanted to especially touch on um, about this team just being significantly better. If you go look at the numbers right now, Oklahoma's one of the top six teams in the country. The computers love them. Defensively, they, and I guarantee you it's all about their efficiency. Defensively, they're not giving up a ton of yards per play anymore. Um, they're not having a bunch of busts, this and that. And then to your point about Spencer Rattler, now people are going to see what I'm talking about, and I've showed you a little bit um, about what I've talked about with Spencer Rattler. He's going to have to play his best game of the year on Saturday. Um, now, he doesn't have to for Oklahoma to win, but he needs to from the aspect of you just weren't named to the first team. Um, talked a little bit off the record um, to some people. This is a big game for him. He has not played well in the last two games. And to people that have heard us say this now for back-to-back podcasts or heard me at least say that, it's more of a, yes, has Spencer Rattler lived up to the expectation as a freshman? Yes, he absolutely has. Is, yes. Has, is he playing up to his potential right now? No, he's not. And that's a good thing. That is a good that's thing. That's a great thing. I mean, obviously you would love to have Adrian Peterson at quarterback, you know, or a, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old just steps onto the field for the first time and is the best player in the game, every single game. Uh, of course, that would be great, but that's you can't depend upon that. You can't you can't predict that. So, no. and I remember you and I would always have arguments, I mean, healthy arguments, when Spencer Rattler was still in high school. I mean, technically in high school, even though he was suspended, just wasn't at OU. And then even in his first year at OU, when Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback, where I would say Keegan, like I get it, the kid is incredibly talented. But I've seen five stars, not just at Oklahoma, but all over the country, light it up in high school, and they get under the bright lights of a big program, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. So I am—I wasn't saying that I don't think Spencer Rattler is going to be good. I was just always erring on the side of, let me wait and see. I have now waited and seen Spencer Rattler, and I'm like, that dude's good. He is incredible. He makes NFL throws. He's the but, best quarterback in this game. But – there's still a lot of room for growth, which is very exciting to say. But having said that, 
if he played an average game against Iowa State, Oklahoma would probably lose a close game. If he plays a little bit better than average, Oklahoma probably wins a, a, a close game. If he plays up to hit the potential of this season that he's, you know, Texas ceiling, Tech. Texas Tech. If he plays like that, Oklahoma wins by 14, 17 points. And I points. think that's been the most disappointing thing is because if what we've seen from any Oklahoma quarterback, which they've had their times where, like, Kyler was playing well and then had the two interceptions against Tech that were like, okay, what the hell. And Jalen's had his – obviously had his at the end of the year last year. Baker's had his in the past. But you wanted to see Spencer take steps from that Texas Tech game. Let that not be your best moment. And I think it's kind of been his best moment since that game. So he, I want to see him play well on Saturday. This is a guy that everything is there for him to be successful. He needs to take the keys and go. He, it is clear and obvious that Lincoln trusts him within the, you know, some of the stuff that I've shown you that people are going to see is that they are running stuff that's getting guys open. And Lincoln clearly trusts him with the entirety of the offense. It's just a matter of Spencer making the right decisions, these not just the right decisions, but the smart decisions as well. Because there are times where, like, okay, say two guys are lined up on the right side and they're man-to-man and they're press, playing press man, and you want to throw a slot fade to the inside guy. Like, that's a good look. Like, most of the time you're going to win that with a good receiver. But when it's second and eight or third and six – and you've got a situation where a guy's coming open like a Drake Stoops on the backside on an easy concept that you can just hit him and get a first down with, you've got to take those things. And I think that was my biggest complaint about Jalen Hurts. And I think the last two to three games, that's my biggest complaint about Spencer Rattler. And this is a game against Iowa State toward some of those underneath throws and this and that are going to be there, and he's going to have to find them, and he's going to have to hit them. Well, see, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to, for this part, I was going to say, let me play devil's advocate while we're praising Spencer Rattler, and rightfully so. The He's really good, and he has the capability to be excellent in this game. I don't know if Heisman votes are still being cast. I don't know if the Heisman should really be awarded this year. But Spencer Rattler could very well, if that's a thing, could very well play his way into a Heisman conversation. I don't think he's going to win it, nor do I think he deserves it. But the stage is there. Here's my fear. If he really is juiced up by that and doesn't want to look at the underneath routes and doesn't want to take what the defense has given him and just constantly tries to push the ball, which, what is that? That's what, that, exactly what I would say would want him to that do. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's just throwing deep and they're incomplete passes and Oklahoma punts, you know, one, two, three, third down, fourth down, you punt. That means he's standing in the pocket longer because those plays take longer to develop and that opens up the risk of him getting sacked or getting hit or fumbling the football, or taking off and getting hurt. And that's why these underneath routes, the the check downs, the non-sexy plays that end up being four yards, five yards, six yards, or even, hell, how many times have you seen a Ramondre or TJ Pledger open like four yards downfield and nothing else in front of them for about 15, 20 yards? And athletes like that can turn that into a big 30-yard gain. You just take those. You take those. And if he doesn't, if he goes in there absolutely pissed off that he wasn't first team, second team, absolutely pissed off. I, I'm I'm a little fearful that he might be a little too hyped up, a little too juiced up for the stage. Yeah, and I, obviously that's a huge concern, and I think not just that, and it's another part to start getting in this game, another facet, is that Oklahoma's offensive line has not played exceptionally well the last two games. And you're going up against a front that is pretty active. Um, Jaquan Bailey's a guy that can win a lot of one-on-ones he can win a double team in the run game 
but for the most part, it's not a front that's trying to disrupt people. They're trying to basically allow their linebackers and DBs to have rushing lanes to fill. It's a Mike Stoops defense. Kind of. I mean, not necessarily. It's a run really well Mike Stoops defense at the end, I guess. Did, who said that? that? Was it Lincoln Riley with the quote the other day? Gone are the days that we're getting two gap guys to just oh. fill a hole. Oh, and there's left. shots being taken still. <gasps> How can, like there doesn't he know that his brother's still employed by the university? <laughs> I would love to ask Drake Stoops that question. What he thinks about Oklahoma's defense now compared to what it was before? But Keegan, let me tell you how hard my nipples got when that quote was all over Twitter. <laughs> oh, I bet it was. Uh, it was um, awesome. But this is an important part. Like, Iowa State's front isn't going to be a front that's going to cause a ton of pressure on Oklahoma. It's going to be their pressure packages. It's going to be whenever they're blitzing DBs on, in the running game, especially run blitzes. Iowa State does them a lot. Um, they did it a lot up in the first time against Oklahoma, and they had a success with it. They've done it in, in other games as well and had a ton of success with it. They're very multiple with what they do defensively. Um, we all kind of know what Iowa State does and how why it's so difficult to stop at this point. But it's important because this offensive line, when Baylor was doing this, that stuff, when that Petrie, the nickelback from Baylor, was having all that success, it was the same stuff. Um, so we, we've seen teams kind of pick up on that, that Oklahoma does struggle against the run game if you're going to blitz from the corners, this and that. You'll probably, I think, you know, something to really watch for is if Oklahoma tries to take advantage of that this week, if they try to start picking out those blitzes and throwing into them. Um, but overall, this offensive line's got to play well. And then this gets into this. Oklahoma, it, it, they haven't run the ball well all year. They didn't run the ball well against Baylor. Um, but they're going to have to run the ball well on Saturday. And I think they can. I, they've, they ran the ball well on Iowa State a year ago. They ran the ball well at the end of the game up in Ames. Um, Texas, in this Texas game at halftime, Brady, Texas had a lot of success in that rushing, open rushing lanes in the zone game as well, which Oklahoma's gone to a little bit here at the tail end of the year. So um, it's a this is a massive game from this offensive line. Um, Creed Humphrey, leave a legacy kind of game. Um, because most importantly, like Oklahoma winning a bowl game, don't get me wrong, that's you send your send your guys off right. It'd be a good way to send Oklahoma out on 2020 um, and kind of looking to head to next season, Brady. But this is the one. Like they, it. This is going to be you win this game, and you're this group this year. You're going to be remembered for a long time. Like just with how the year has gone, this and that, and this is an offensive line that really hasn't been a strength of this team for a couple years, and they've got a chance to be on Saturday if they can take advantage of it. Yeah, it's fairly similar in some ways to, like, the 2013 team. You know how we all say yeah. that that was Bob Stoops' best coaching job of his career because of all the pitfalls in the offseason leading up to that year, key injuries during the year, having Blake Bell as a quarterback, then Trevor Knight as a quarterback, and then Kendall Thompson for about five minutes, and then back to Blake Bell, and then back to Trevor Knight. So – a little bit similar in that if this group wins a Big 12 championship with all the BS of this year, wow, what does that really say about Oklahoma's program under Lincoln Riley? Because if I'm a if I'm a different co if I'm an opposing coach in this conference, and I kind of look at the landscape and go, this is the year that they didn't get knocked off. Yikes! It ain't gonna be pretty. So this game is gonna rely on the, the between which two quarterbacks we've already talked about and Spencer Rattler and Brock Purdy who is better, but I think, Brady, this is also a game that is going to be huge and relied upon pressure, and it's something that you and I, have, we've talked ad nauseum about for this almost this whole season at this point, and really now since the Tech game that Ronnie Perkins has gone back, 
That's why I'm so down on Brock Purdy, especially for this game. He does not deal with pressure well. And I know, he, like I said, he gets rid of sacks. I've got the Iowa State-Oklahoma game up right now um, the first time around. He can avoid those things, and he is good outside the pocket. But Oklahoma, as long as they're solid, it's it happens so fast. Receivers do have a hard time breaking off their routes and coming back. So um, to what I'm talking about right now, Brady, this is the part of the game where I think it's one for Oklahoma. I think everybody talks about it. Everybody knows it. I don't think you can overthink it. Oklahoma's going to get pressure on Iowa State Saturday, and they're going to get a lot of it. And I think that is – I think that's what decides it. I, 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 I can't come to a path that if Iowa State can't block Oklahoma on Saturday, I don't see how they can win. I just don't. Well, I, I mean, I would say Iowa State's going to be well prepared for that. They're, they understand what Oklahoma's going to try to do defensively, and they've got a very talented stable of running backs. Obviously, everybody knows about Brees Hall, but – I would imagine they're going to probably do a lot of what Baylor tried to do offensively is just take the pass rush out of the game as much as you can by just dumping it off over their head. And I don't know if that's kind of a remedy to back them off and then you try to execute your Iowa State offense from that point on or if that's something that they just try to do like Baylor did the entire game because that won't win you the game by just, you know, that that, that won't win you the game at all. But because uh, even even then, like OU's defense is still so fast that even if you know Ronnie Perkins gets a pass thrown over his head, he can turn it right around and chase down the guy and tackle him. So um, I say that, but you're right. Oklahoma's going to get to Brock Purdy, and the big question is: Are they going to get to just simply get to him, or are they going to get home? Because they just got they got to him in, in Ames. They didn't get home that much, and. The one time they did, and this will be the 12th time that I've brought it up on this podcast, the one time they got to him in Ames was the Trey Brown penalty. They well, sat they got Isaiah Thomas too, but. Yes. It was just the theme of that game. Yeah. And that's why it's really hard because in any other instance, I would not look at it and go, well, OU's a better team. The other team is about the same. Oh, you won't shoot themselves in the foot as much. It's never really that easy, but that game was so comically bad by Oklahoma from self-inflicted wounds. So it just it makes me think like, of course they're going to go down there and, and win. But I'm I'm the crazy fan guy. Like, I shouldn't be thinking that. That to me makes me reverse think even more that maybe this is just Iowa State's magical little year that they're going to talk about for the next hundred years. Well, I said this is like a Boise State Oklahoma game on Saturday. This this feels exactly like the Boise State Oklahoma week, and shout out to John Hoover. A couple of stories he wrote early in the week were stories that I was going to write on, but they literally. I was putting up the BCR charts yesterday, as you saw. When I know you how much I know you know how much I love getting to update those. Iowa State now on their roster right now has two four star recruits, and that's it. It's boy. It's it's, well, it's somebody. It's, somebody came on the franchise and was all, like some fan blogger for Iowa State. Yeah, from right, White Right, Natty Light. Yeah. Oh really? I can't believe who let that happen. I don't know. I'm, it I'm was Chisholm's show, so I'd imagine it'd be Chisholm. Yeah. Um, I would say, but he was all about this is five star culture against five star players or whatever, and I'm like, I, I get the sentiment and I get the. Like, Iowa State's never going to really have a, a situation like this 
to boast about potentially beating Oklahoma for a Big 12 title. I get it. But let's not act like, oh, you went in there with this unearned sense of accomplishment in Ames. Like, they had just lost to Kansas State yeah. in embarrassing fashion. Oklahoma was prepared to play Iowa State, and you, that's why you credit Iowa State for playing winning football that day. They had but, a huge but they did play on the first Oklahoma on that first drive. Yeah. They, which never happens against Iowa to State. To Charleston Rambo. Yeah. And, again, you credit Iowa State for the win, but as the game went along, it was just apparent that, no, this Oklahoma team is just, at this point, very average because they can't – they can't get – they can't help themselves out. Absolutely. Um, and I think as well, like, this is a game – and I want to get into this a little bit from the schematic side of it. Iowa State, to combat w- the problems with pressure that they've allowed – and I was telling you that tech, they just put three tight ends on the field at times against Texas, two tight ends on the field. They got in too tight. I mean, they did everything they possibly could, and that hinders what they can do offensively, though. It limits them. There's going to be a ton of RPOs in this game. That's a negative for Oklahoma. A ton of size at tight end on the end of wide receiver. That's a problem for Oklahoma. Brees Hall also a problem for Oklahoma. But if they're going to c- combat the pressure the way they did against Texas, that's going to leave a lot for Oklahoma to do defensively. Because, like, Texas, when Brees Hall had some of his big runs down there in that game, and I'm now, like I said, I'm at halftime and all the way through, but – like, it wasn't blocked that great, you know? Uh, some of the other things, it just wasn't blocked that great. So, I don't know. I just – it's such a great story. And you know and you know this from knowing me in the past. I love Matt Campbell. I literally – you guys would cr- take jabs at me for how much I talked about Matt Campbell in Iowa State and what the job that they were doing. But this is a Big 12 championship game. Like, this is – this is a game, like we talked about earlier, like if Spencer Rattler plays well, Oklahoma will win easily, comfortably. 10, 14 points. Look, if Skylar Thompson doesn't get hurt, and let's pretend in some weird scenario, like Iowa State like loses a few games, and it's Oklahoma-Kansas State in a rematch, I would have the same idea that I have for this Iowa State game that I would have for Kansas State. And that's even knowing that Clyman's beaten Lincoln Riley two years in a row. I'm like, okay, the – five-star player versus the five-star culture, you know, all that, you know, get one for the Gipper BS that these lesser programs have when they play a school like Oklahoma. You can get away with that in the regular season. You can catch them on a bad day. You can you can do that. And in Kleiman and even Matt Campbell's credit, they've done it twice to Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. But twice in the same year, like, once you, once you, you know, talk shit to the champ, and then you beat the champ, you know, now you got his attention. So I just don't know if that same cute shit's going to work. Not that Iowa State's going to do anything cute. They're not. But no. everything had to go right for them. Everything. Mm-hmm. Every, drop picks, fortuitous penalties. Oklahoma drop just dropped touchdowns by five-star receivers. Miss blocks by Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year or Offensive Lineman of the Year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, people were – he got pancaked in that game. Yeah. Like, put – Creed Humphrey got put on his butt by an Iowa State defensive lineman. And all that had to happen, and then they barely won. And their well, precious little black uniforms return. in their home stadium where they finally let fans in. Yeah, for that – that was the first game. Yeah. They didn't – I mean, if they would have had them against Louisiana, they might have won. Who knows? And maybe they'd be in a playoff 
situation. What a joke that was, by the way. Have we talked to ever talked about the college football playoff rankings? I on think this we show? did because I think we recorded our Tuesday pod. I think yep. we did. No, that was uh, that was last week that we recorded late, and they were th- they had been out. Yeah, that was a joke this week. Oh yeah, I mean the Florida thing is silly. Uh, again, it's stop calling it the college football playoff and start calling it the college football invitational because that's what it is. Yeah, the You've committee p- pool of about eight nine teams each year that can make it. That's yeah, it. and then they just rank them accordingly. I wish if if we're going to do this committee thing because I think we're going to for the foreseeable future because why? Because humans are easy to influence and therefore you strike deals with them. ESPN runs it. Everybody makes money. Blah, blah, blah. What I wish they would do is just simply release like a top six. And it doesn't even have to be ranked. Like here are six best teams and you say six because here are the four like, there are four of these teams that we, if the season ended today, they would be in the playoff, and there are two that are just on the cusp and don't rank anybody else. Because my 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 problem with the committee is not necessarily with the final four rankings, because those are typically as correct as they're going to be. My problem is, is basically 7 to 25, because it's just littered with, well, we got to rank Iowa because of strength of schedule for certain opponents that we think are better. Uh, we got to rank Georgia and Florida right there because of strength of schedule for opponents that we think are, are good. And it just becomes this gigantic circle jerk of this. none of this stuff matters. Like, none of the games matter. Because what the committee basically said, Keegan, was the LSU game just did not matter for Florida. They might as well have not have played it. Yeah, they might as well. Might as well. Yeah, you hear that, kids? Go out there and play that blood sport. <laughs> Even though it doesn't matter, the uh, no, I think it's, I think it's interesting. You know, you just you talk about this week and this game and like what this this means, like just in the realm of everything. I don't know if I've put it. We've really put it in perspective. Six straight Big Twelve championships, Brady. Six straight. They haven't won shit yet. That would be. If right. they do win, yeah, it'll be six. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not taking that leap. I, can I? Can oh, Can Spencer Rattler throw a couple interceptions? Keep up Iowa State in this game, and Iowa State win. I, I think so. I think there is that is your pathway to winning. Now, if everybody plays up to the expectation in this game, I, I see it as a t- about a ten point win yeah. for Oklahoma. Well, so Bob won three, right? He won three in a row. Oh six, oh seven, oh eight. Yes. Uh, two thousand, two thousand two, two thousand four. So yeah, he he had a streak of three. I think Switzer won eight big eight titles in a row. And I think Wilkinson won. I could be, I could be wrong. I'm probably am. Did Wilkinson win like, win like 16 in a row? Something stupid. Basically from like 1949 to 1960, they won the big eight every single year, I think. But big seven at the time. Big seven at the time. You're right. But uh, yeah, they won it. <laughs> they won it a lot. Well, I mean, there was one less team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good lord, they won it a lot. Nebraska wasn't good. Oklahoma A and M was okay. They were good in the mid forties, as we all know. It's well documented. Uh, then they fell off the face of the earth. They won the Big Eight eleven times, Big Seven and Big Eight eleven times under Bud Wilkinson. Does that happen in a row at all? They ran. They won four in a row. Okay, I was completely point. wrong. Wow. Um, Switzer won. One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine big eight conference championships. So he did not win eight in a row. He so. won five in a row from 76 to 80. There you go. 
Uh, he didn't win six. No. So maybe and that's where it stops. 06, 07, 08, Bob won. But Bob won 2000, 2002, 2004. 06, 07, 08. And then 2010, 2012 that no Kinda, one really yeah. acknowledges. And then 2015, 16, 17, 18. But, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, six straight Big 12 championships of Oklahoma wins on Saturday. It's just nuts. Like, it's, it's, it's freaking nuts. I mean, yeah, it's it's an incredible achievement, albeit mm, not that many people outside of Big 12 land think that much of the conference. But if someone's going to win it, you know, I want it to be Oklahoma. That's stage one of the goal is to win the conference and then get to the playoff and then win a playoff game and win the national title. But here, and I don't blame listeners if they're going to rage quit listening to this pod from this point on because all the chatter has been what you just mentioned, like, oh, you could win six Big 12. Big 12 titles, and I don't see how Oklahoma can beat Iowa State. But let's how, how let, Iowa let's, State let's go. Them. Let's go down, not necessarily go down the path of how Iowa State can win, because we know how Iowa State can win. Yeah, they they can win because they're a good football team, and Oklahoma just doesn't play as well. Yep, that's how they'll win. But if Oklahoma loses, have you seen some of the bowl projections? Oh yeah. I hate to say this, and. I'm not hoping that this happens, but the bowl projection for an Oklahoma loss in the Big 12 title game looks much better than the bowl projection if they win. I don't want to play Cincinnati in a Cotton Bowl. I don't want to play Coastal Carolina in a Cotton Bowl. I've seen that movie before, Keegan, and I did not like how it ended. They're not missing a Cotton Bowl with OU and A&M if OU and A&M win on Saturday. What if A&M goes to the playoff? A&M's not going to the playoff. Are you sure? I mean, how this is this is exactly how it's going to play out. I, you know, I'm, I've already admitted that Florida is not going to win on Saturday. I still think Florida covers, though. Don't get me wrong; I'm not giving up on my Gators quite yet. <laughs> um, but Alabama's going to win. Clemson's going to win. It's going to be Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. And you're going to get Alabama and Notre Dame. You're going to get Cle- a rematch of Clemson, Ohio State, and I, you're going to get OU and freaking A&M in a Cotton Bowl because we spoke it into existence. I, I do not think Notre Dame, Clemson. I, I, I'm sorry. I think because Trevor Lawrence didn't. If Trevor Lawrence didn't play, if he did play in the first game against Notre Dame and Notre Dame still won, I feel like you could find more of a scenario where. Regardless of who wins on Saturday, you can have both the ACC winner and the runner-up in the playoff. Yeah, and I think the Clemson people will be fighting that Lawrence didn't play in the first game. This is actually another tech that I have, and people are a little bit slow on, and I think they may come around. But like, I don't think Mac Jones is that good at quarterback for Bama. I think he's good because the standard of quarterback at, at Alabama sure. is – Tua was incredible. Yeah, he wasn't the standard. Um, he is the outlier. Jalen Hurts was incredible from the standpoint of he was about the first Alabama quarterback that had legs. Yeah. I know they had, oh, what was his name? Star. Sims. They they, Sims. Uh, they won a national championship with them. Blake Sims? Yeah. Did they win or did they lose? They might have gotten beat by Ohio State that year. Basically, all the Alabama quarterbacks that had won national titles under Saban um, were essentially game-managing quarterbacks. You know, not a lot of athleticism, nothing really to write home about other than they just did their job and that and that was it. And so when you watch Mac Jones, and that's your standard because we both know that he, he doesn't have legs, and we both know he doesn't have legs, you have like a really low threshold for him. But he's exceeded that. Like he is an exceptional game-managing quarterback almost to the point where uh, he could – 
he could probably make some noise in the NFL, at least with the hype. No, sure. Can he? And that's why I think he's getting a lot of over. Can he be a quarterback like a Ryan Tannehill or a Kirk Cousins or this or that? Absolutely. Can Kyle Trask go be that? Absolutely. Kyle Trask is probably a little bit better of an NFL prospect, but, like, I don't know. I just don't feel like in this era with how good the quarterback play is that Mac Jones is going to win a college football playoff. Like, I just don't believe that. Like, how do I say this? This sound. This is where it may get a little off the rails. Like, I think Ian Book is better than Mac Jones after watching Notre Dame two, three, four times this year. Like, I really like his poise. I think I, I like him because he's multidimensional, but obviously it's not necessarily a part of his game, but when he has to take off, the dude is fast. Yeah, yeah, and – and, like, Notre Dame's offensive line, kind of like Oklahoma in 2018, I think they can handle a playoff. So, um, I think it's interesting, though, but in terms of just the playoff, like, another thing, too, and I brought this up on with Sam and Chisholm, the, if people are screaming for the BCS right now, well, Oklahoma would be 13th in the BCS, which is crazy. I, I kind of wish they were. Well, sure. Because I feel like that would help the college football committee – rank the teams that we all got mad at where they ended up being on Tuesday night, like Florida and Georgia. They want to recognize that Oklahoma is one of the playing like one of the five or six best teams in the country, but they can't rank them there for obvious reasons. Yeah. So they want to put them in the top 10 basically as a nod of respect. It's just more of a, you didn't have your two of your best players. It's like, we get it. Yeah. We're going to give you a slim chance to believe that you can maybe backdoor your way, but it's not going to happen. It's, it's, a, it's an honor, basically. But if, they're, if Oklahoma is at 12, 13, 14, I feel like the rankings would have made a little bit more sense. The committee would have had a little bit more leeway, but it's not just because of where they ranked Oklahoma why the rankings kind of suck. You know, it's not Oklahoma's fault, but that's a different story. But I wanted to uh – since we may not be doing a little X and O's pod, I want to say this. Oklahoma, how they win offensively, which I think is something that a lot of people are intrigued by. I think, like I said earlier, the zone running game for Texas, I think we kind of have nailed every game since. I think the zone running game for Texas against Iowa State early in that game is very intriguing. You have to be able to pull that free safety down now. Oklahoma's going to do whatever they possibly can to get that guy moved from the middle of the field. Um, we saw him run by Charleston Rambo, and then later in the game, Oklahoma, he didn't bite on anything, and he was in position to make a play. Um, so Oklahoma's going to have to pull their safety safeties away, um, especially that guy playing in center field. Um, and then as well, they're going to have to block really, really well up front, like yeah. whether that's just the pass game, whether that's the run game, um, because it is a confusing defense to block. Like Just because you have to account for so many guys at the second level, there's four with a safety you have to account for. So it makes things a little difficult. But Oklahoma can zone them. I think that they can have a lot of success in the zone game, which is where Ramondre Stevenson's bread butter's at. He's really good in the counter, but he is really good in the zone running game. So I, I, I think Oklahoma's going to do that quite a bit. And then uh, the other thing that Oklahoma's now found some more success with, especially but if you remember the Iowa State game, one of the biggest offensive plays that they had was that little swing pass out to Jeremiah Hall. Yep. And That was going to be my question is – Baylor took away the H-backs. Like, that was probably their big defensive plan was, we're not going to let the H-backs beat us. Well, if you remember David Ronda, we've talked about this at the LSU in the Peach Bowl last year. He was like, basically did whatever he could. When you go back through my film review, he literally did whatever he possibly could not to allow the H-backs to have success. Yeah. Like, he takes that into his own. Now, not having Mikey Henderson also helped Baylor's. Or Stogner. Or Stogner. Uh, Which, I guess it's, I I don't know the status. There you go. 
<laughs> so I've reached out and tried, and I will have an answer on that eventually. Um, probably closer to game time. Maybe it'll come um, during the podcast. Who knows? In the next five yeah, ten just minutes. But uh, wait for the bowl. But yeah, I don't expect wait for the bowl. I don't expect him to play on Saturday. I know that we've talked about this and kind of his what his injury was, um, and it's not even like that the injury is holding him back. It's the fact that he did get he had some issues afterwards. I'm not comfortable talking about that, but it sounds like he did get sick. So he um, got leprosy, kind of. Oh no! But I do not expect him to play on Saturday. I I I. We'll back you up from what I know. I just don't know 100% quite yet. So, um, the middle of the field offensively is going to be open. A lot of play action stuff, RPO stuff. It worked for Stogner the first time around against against uh, Iowa State. Brayden Willis is going to be a big part of this game. Um, offensively, I think we've covered it there. Defensively, the big thing, Iowa State's going to motion a ton. They've done it more as the season gone on. But they're going to motion their tight ends a ton, their receivers a ton. They're going to line up. I put it out on Twitter already. Um, you're going to see a bunch of different funky li- mo- like wide receiver lined up in the backfield. That's alert to something's about to come, obviously. Um, they're creative. Their running game is a lot of zone stuff to allow Brees Hall to pick and choose where he wants to run. So it's not really complex. Um, they'll just counter some stuff. They'll pull their guards every now and again. But it's mostly the zone stuff to allow Brees Hall to pick his areas to run and go. Yeah. Um, and then really just the pass game and I said the second ago they're going to RPO a lot like a lot of play action because it's clear that that's what works against Oklahoma we've talked about it all season it was an issue a year ago um, teams haven't been able to kind of attack it because Oklahoma's pass rush has been so good ask Baylor yeah um, so Oklahoma State tried it too had a pa- pass picked off had a couple get bumped in the air Texas Tech it happened to them as well so um, that's going to be a big part for you know guys like Trey Norwood. Funny enough, guys like Delaren Turnerell, Pat Fields. That's going to be back. Um, what if Pat Fields has like two picks in this game? <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally like, redeem yourself. That, no, that'd be that'd be awesome. I'd be I'd be happy for him. Um, just from how good of a kid he is, but because he got. And rightfully so, he's been hit slandered pretty hard this year. But I don't know if slander is the right word for it. But fairly criticized, sick. yeah, over for and the over right and things. over and over, reminded of his of his downfall. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but defensively, offensively, that's kind of where it's at. And Brady, I, I as I said, as I sit here again, we're less than forty eight hours from this thing, maybe thirty six at this point. I just don't see a way. I can't like, you put this game together. The only thing that really is a big holdup for me is Oklahoma's run game. They're going to have to run the football well. They're going to have to run the football really well to get the play-action game going with Spencer Rattler. Yep. Um, but I just – I see them playing well enough offensively, unlike the Baylor game, to win a game, which means that they can score over 30 points against Iowa State. Schematically, Lincoln will have – I'll have something out on that from the Bedlam game that I've hinted at before. That will be out tomorrow or tomorrow night. Um, Lincoln will be good enough. And then defensively, I just – I've come back to it every time. And I've said this for now for five, six weeks. I said it on Tuesday. I said it last week. I just can't get over – I don't think Iowa State's going to be able to block them. And if they do, they're going to limit themselves so much it's going to hurt them offensively. I So, yeah. there you go. There's yeah. my, there's my uh, full preview. I mean, like I told you before we started recording, I mean, we just – Let's start calling calling Iowa State. Don't get me wrong, because anytime we've had to talk about the Big Twelve Championship, about Oklahoma and Iowa State, and we're talking about the Cyclones, we say, "Don't get me wrong, but Iowa State's yeah, like they're a good team." Don't get me wrong, Brock Purdy is a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong, 
they've got a chance. And that's why it's so hard, like like you said, to see a path for Iowa State to win or mainly to see Oklahoma lose the game. Now the easiest What if Ohio State doesn't play in the cultural football playoff to cut you off real quick? What if they did can't play this weekend? Did you see that they are dealing with some COVID issues? They may not play f- that. I can't remember who. Uh, that makes Saturday's game a little more interesting. I can't remember who announced it on Twitter. One of the big national sports writers uh, said, I, I think the quote was a uh, a big-time receiver tested positive. So he won't be playing in the Big Ten title game if the game is able to be played because I get, apparently Ohio State's dealing with some karma. I mean, some. Oh, some if uh, Ohio State doesn't play this weekend, Brady, that opens the door for Oklahoma. Oh, come on now. See, this would be perfect. Not perfect because I, I would obviously I want OU to win and everything good to happen. But what would – imagine if Ohio State were to lose or not be able – that game is not played. It gets canceled. And then Oklahoma goes out in the field thinking we're going to get revenge. We're all pissed off because of all the Big 12 ranking uh, – Big 12 team, uh, first team, second teams or whatever – and we're going to go to the playoff by beating Iowa State. Oh, we lost straight up. Oh, shite. They're not losing to Northwestern. They just won't. But if Ohio State doesn't play, Alabama beats Florida. Florida's out, out of the conversation. Florida's irrelevant. Makes Texas A&M's win look a lot worse. And say Notre Dame wins. Then that leaves two spots open. You could even put A&M and the Big 12 winner in, or Cincinnati. A&M doesn't deserve to be anywhere, but I, I want them there so they can just get destroyed. What would at least be nice is if that scenario happened, A&M would be third, and you won't get an A&M-Alabama matchup in the first round. So you'll, they'll at least be able to prove themselves right. Yeah. A&M would. Um, but that is interesting. I didn't realize it was that big of a talk, topic of conversation today. Sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. No, it's I think okay. it's important. It is important. I mean, everything is very fluid this season, and it's hard to pin things down, but it seems like it, it is going to happen on Saturday. Oklahoma and Iowa State are going to play the game, and we're all going to watch, be excited, and hopefully for our post-game show pod, Keegan, uh, that you can also listen to on Patreon. Hopefully we're happy. At least hopefully I'm happy. What we're doing it Sunday during the uh, – heck, we should probably start it during the bowl preview stuff. Well, I mean, the game's on at 11. We might be able to. I'll be total uh, home. Not, I don't know. Homer's not the right word. What is it? Hondo? Hondo, the right word, I think. Whatever the word is. Cash and football, I guess. Great time to give them a quick shout out. Playing in the four state championship game in six years. They are not sponsors of this pod. They're not. They, <laughs> they, they damn well should be. They basically raised me. So, um, they're playing, yeah. They'll, so I'll be uh, driving back from Arlington immediately after the game ends to get to back to UCO, watch them play. So we lost to Thomas in Cashin's first state championship game appearance in like 20, 30 years, or thir- over 30 years. We got beat 28 nothing, And then Cashin's best team and best chance to maybe win, Brady, guess who it's against? Thomas. There's, uh-huh. your, there's your small school Oklahoma fodder for this podcast. Uh, go Cats, go. The only small school that I really know is Tonkawa because that's where my mom and dad are from. Tonkawa High School, K County. That and Blackwell. Any recruiting thoughts before we get out of here? I think that we can reserve. What the hell is Clark Wheaton going to do? Let's reserve that. Well, okay, I guess that is a topic conversation. Oklahoma's confident, like, in Kamar Wheaton. 
I don't know, like, obviously don't know word if he's signed with Oklahoma or not. They expect whenever he announces his decision, it's going to be them. I don't know if they really know that or not, which is crazy. Yet, at this point, I think I would know, right, if they knew. I could tell you the one guy, though, that they are confident in is Tristan Lee. Like, I, that's going to happen. So, Oklahoma's going to land two bookend tackles. Go Oklahoma. Well, I mean, is there any intrigue since Tristan didn't sign on signing day or early there, signing day? I keep saying signing day. Let's get into kind of like recruit because I'm going to be pushing out content next week for recruiting since the Big 12 Championships this week. So save that for next week. Let's save it. Let's save a little recruiting talk for next week because I I do think that Oklahoma landed like they got a lot better. Like I know the class wasn't top ten yet, but they got a lot better this year. A lot. Clayton Smith. I'm excited. Very excited. And after hearing, uh, what's his name, McCutcheon? Yeah, Roy Manning called him an alpha change. After it for hearing me. him talk um, at his signing day at school, I'm like, I love this kid. Oh, that's yeah. the Oklahoma Sooner right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is that guy that goes out there and he actually gets a PBU or pick, and then turns around and starts talking. I like it. Yeah, not just he the, backs the, it up. Not just the quarterback threw the ball ten yards over the receiver. I'm going to now talk. <laughs> that's much better. But I did, I did forget though. Score prediction. What are we thinking? I'm an, I'll say 38-20, Oklahoma. You were right the last time. You picked an Oklahoma big win. I was relatively close. Now, I, I, did pick, I, I did pick Oklahoma to beat Iowa State names, but that's I think we talked about that on Tuesday. I picked them because Oklahoma doesn't lose two games in a row in conference. That's why. I've been around this score for most of the year. I'm going to stick with the 10-point margin. Oklahoma wins 34-24. Stay tuned with the postgame show to see if we're right or wrong. Then you can make fun of us. And that's how we're going to end this pod. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast, the Thursday edition, live from Vanessa Beer House in Oklahoma City. Thank you once again to our friends at Vanessa House. Thank you to the Road Warrior, who you will be listening to very shortly. Shout out to everybody that makes this podcast a thing. Thank you all so much. Got one more game this season until the bowl, and then 2020 football season will be over. Thank God. Well, let's hope OU ends it out with two wins so everybody thank you so much until next time we'll talk we all know you. oklahoma has a ton of underrated beauty to it the rolling hills the countrysides, the sunsets and even our cities if you're interested in decorating your home or place of business with evidence showing off the uniqueness of our state give david schweitzer a look david is a talented photographer hailing from calumet who has a passion for capturing everything oklahoma has to offer and don't take my word for it check out his website at www.oklahomabackroadexplorer.com and get in touch with them. I personally like the abandoned building prints. I'm into creepy stuff, but it also kind of reminds me of what Bob Stoops must have felt when he first stepped on campus in 1998. Again, that's oklahomabackroadexplorer.com or check out his Instagram page of the same name. Follow him on Instagram and like his stuff for us. We'll appreciate it. One of David's specialties is taking his photos and printing them on wooden cutouts of the state. It'd go really well with an upside down longhorn skull in your living room. One more time, oklahomabackroadexplorer.com. And what's up, everybody? Welcome to the OU Road Warrior edition of the Inside OU podcast on Thursday. I am joined by the man of the hour himself, the Road Warrior. Um, and we are, we, we kind of just, we did a really good podcast before we even started recording, sir, because <laughs> uh, we got, we, we basically, I gave you the outline of what we were going to talk about. So obviously today, it's the week of the Big 12 Championship. We are about a day away by the time this is going to go out uh, Thursday evening. About a day and a half away from kickoff, and 
I'm just kind of sitting here saying, well, let's talk about old Big 12 championships uh, since I'm assuming you've been to all of them, especially since the ones that uh, OU has been to since 2000 because no one cares about the 90s Big 12 championships, unfortunately. Um, and then I wanted to talk about this game. We got into the um, all Big 12 conference teams that just got released a few hours ago and maybe some snubs here and there and what it does for the Big 12 championship game on Saturday. And then we kind of dove into really quick the Iowa State game that took place in October. And we're already fired up, man. I'm, I'm excited for this. Same here. Same here. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, I, I don't know. Let, let's – uh. Let's keep that momentum going. We were just talking about the Iowa State game in October. And and look, I understand by this point, Keegan and I have talked about that game a ton, but it's the Big 12 Championship week. We don't have that much else to talk about. We're all excited for this. But let's kind of go back to that experience in Ames. That, uh, you were there, obviously. Um, I was. I've had the same opinion about that game since I think we recorded the post game that night, uh, Keegan and I, up until now. OU played like they played terrible. They played awful football in that game. Um, missed tackles, so many missed tackled opportunities, especially on crucial downs where they had Brees Hall dead to rights in the backfield. And I can remember two Trey Norwood with tackles that would have resulted in Iowa State punts, or at least in an Iowa State fourth down. And then, and, of course, and, and at least that many dropped interceptions. Yes, Patrick Fields had two drop picks. Buki Radley Hiles had a, a he had a and maybe an attempt at getting a pick in the end zone, but just didn't jump high enough. I mean, I don't know. Three don't very make fun of Buki because he's short. <laughs> three very bad uh, throws by Brock Purdy that just basically ended up being lucky breaks for Iowa State. And that was kind of the common theme of that game for the Cyclones. Again, no disrespect for, to Iowa State because they played four quarters of football. OU really didn't deserve to win that game despite the fact that they – um, controlled it and led until virtually the very end. Uh, and then also what we were talking about was that was probably Spencer Rattler's second best game as quarterback at OU. He just, his receivers did not help him that evening. Yeah, I know it was uh, the, the, the key to the quarterback having a good game is that his good game really needs to coincide with the receivers good game. Cause if the receivers are having a bad game, then the quarterback can be, unbelievable but he can't catch the ball himself and that was really the problem that he had uh that night uh was some some really important passes got dropped um as we were talking about before we before we started recording you know there were there were two or three touchdown passes that got dropped the one that still just kills me is the one that he threw to Theo Weiss I think on the last possession yeah um, that was just one of the best throws I've ever seen in my life and it hit Weiss right in the hands and he just couldn't hold on to it yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was the either the second or third last possession of the game with Theo. Okay, it was the, in the fourth quarter. The last one, the last possession is of course where he forced a throw, uh, an attempt to Theo East that got intercepted. It was a bad throw, but at that point, I think Spencer Rattler understood if we're going to win, it's going to be because of some BS throw that I make. So why not just try to get it here or end it? So that that's kind of well. How, and if you know, if dude wasn't holding Theo, you know, maybe it would have been closer. I don't know. Yeah, that was the other thing. Spencer Rattler, he threw it and immediately kind of started waving his arm for a flag. But uh, them's he the breaks. He wasn't the only one. <laughs> yeah, uh, them's, them's the breaks. Uh, but again, that, that just kind of went into that whole evening uh, for that game was just lucky break after lucky break after lucky break. And look, OU fans should have done this as well. You have to be lucky to win football games sometimes. You have to be lucky to win championships, national championships. I mean, look no further than OU's 2000 season where they didn't virtually didn't have – an injury that entire year it's 
it's important to be lucky. So you credit Iowa State once again, but it's hard to look at this game, even though that October game seemed like it was five years ago. It was it's it yeah. was so long ago. So to just basically say, well, OU's not going to play as bad as they did against Iowa State. So then that means OU's going to win. Well, Iowa State also got better as the year went along. You can just look at their their uh, scoring margins as the as the season wore along. They got better too. So um, I should be saying I'm expecting a big competitive game late into the fourth quarter, but I don't. <laughs> so I don't. No, I no, should neither. I shouldn't lean more towards the uh, the former of it was just lucky break after lucky break in bad OU football in Ames. That that won't happen again. But I guess at the end of the day, I do kind of lean more that way. Well, I do too, and I, I don't do predictions. And it will not surprise me if this game goes down to the wire. It, it, you know, nothing surprises me anymore. But I mean, if if somebody sort of forced me to to say, I mean, I I, I think that uh, I think the game is a lot more likely to to not be a nail biter than to be one. And that's that's about as far as I'm going to go with predictions. I, <laughs> I I I think we will win comfortably. It won't surprise me if we don't. But but I think ultimately we will win comfortably. Um, you know. Iowa state has gotten better, certainly has looked better, at least on the scoreboard in a lot of these games, but you also, you know, you look at, look at, they, you know, they lost to Oklahoma state, a team that we beat by four touchdowns. Uh, they lost, or they barely beat Texas and granted we barely beat Texas too. Although that, I think that was more on us than, than Texas there at the end of that game. We Agreed. controlled, we controlled that game through the entire second half until there were five minutes left. And I understand you can't take away those five minutes, but, um, you can you know, when and, it goes when you, when it goes directly against how the entire game the rest of the game went. You, that's when you can do things like that. Well, and I, I guess really it was you know they got an extra fifty eight seconds or whatever too. So I mean we did play more than an hour in that game. But of all the um, weird things that have happened this year, I can't believe that that's the one that I have to be reminded that actually happened. The Big Twelve just randomly gave Texas almost an extra minute of football. well, and, and I think I know what happened. They never they never said why it happened. Yeah, but I think I figured out why it happened, and I'm not the only one. But when they were reviewing whether he got a first down on that running play, and they were gonna, the, and, and they were gonna because they had restarted the clock, and then they looked at the clock to, you know, get the right time. But the problem is, I think they went back to the beginning of the play before. Yeah, that's that. I think that sounds kind of right. When I did the Zapruder film review of like where where was the second ref, where was the grassy knoll, and it <laughs> happened in Dallas. So, um, you know, just like Barry Switzer said, like it's supposed to be a neutral site. But last time I checked, Dallas is in Texas, but uh, di- different story for a different day. But yeah, um, the other kind of monkey wrench has been thrown into this game has just been what's kind of occurred today with the All Big Twelve selections and. I'm not a big bulletin board material guy if I'm being asked if I am, but then I can't help but remember my paranoid fan self whenever Lindy Holmes uh, said that Tim Tebow would have been like the third or fourth best quarterback in the Big 12 in 2008 when we played Florida in the Orange Bowl, um, when Larry Burdine said that Matt Leinart was trash or something before the, uh, the Orange Bowl that we don't want to remember against USC. Well- but Let's I, I, be fair. Matt Leinart is trash, but <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, so I'm not a bulletin board material guy when it doesn't really affect my fandom. But man, seeing every like seeing Ronnie Perkins just go okay, like 
no, no big 12 honors for us. Nobody on this defensive line. That's clearly the best defensive line in the big 12. And even in their losses without Ronnie Perkins, mind you, they still looked pretty damn good. They were by far the best unit on the team. I remember us talking about that for weeks at the beginning of the season. Uh, a little shocking that OU only gets three all Big 12 first team selections. I believe it was Jeremiah Hall, Gabe Burkich, and Creed Humphrey. Uh, but this kind of just this kind of just seemed like voters had a chance to kind of split hairs between insert OU player here and oh Iowa State. Let, let's reward Iowa State for their awesome year because this is probably never going to happen again. Well, I think there's some of that subconsciously, and I think there's been a lot of that. I mean, I was listening on my way to Norman for the Baylor game. I was listening to the the end of the Iowa State game that day. I think they were playing, I think they were playing West Virginia, and they just beat the tar out of them. Yeah, it was like forty two three or forty two. Yeah, but I was I was listening just to have something to listen to. I was listening to their broadcast, and and the uh, the Iowa State radio guys were like. Iowa State is the champions of the Big 12, first conference championship since, you know, before World War One, which is true, actually. Um, and, you know, all of this other stuff, like they had won something. I was like, that's a bad attitude to have about a deal like this because they haven't won anything yet. I mean, do, do we award regular season? I mean, I guess no. nothing's stopping Iowa State from hanging up a banner in, like, their practice facility that they won the Big 12 regular season crown, which... I didn't right. know it was a thing, but it is, it isn't a thing. It is not a thing. And, I, and they were not the, they were not the only ones to do that. I, I saw, I think Dennis Dodd was like, you know, uh, Iowa state, you know, was on Twitter or something. Iowa state's big 12 regular season champions. Like there's no such thing. <laughs> they, they don't get a trophy. You know, it's, it's kind of like back, back uh, when we didn't have a championship game in 2012, when we had, we had lost to K state and then we ended up tying with them yeah. and the way that it was set up. There was no tiebreaker. If you tied, you were co-champions. So I, you know, somebody was on Twitter that day and was like, oh, well, you know, Oklahoma didn't win. We had played TCU in an early game that day in Fort Worth and we had won. So we had clinched, at least we had clinched a piece to the championship and somebody, some writer, national writer online was like, well, yeah, that's a tie, but you know, Kansas state has a tiebreaker. Oklahoma didn't get a trophy. And so I, I tweeted at him the picture I took of, um, I think it was Dimitri Flowers holding the trophy that they had given us there in Fort Worth. I was like, "This, this is the thing that we didn't get." Now, yeah. admittedly, I, I think, I think if uh, the rules should not have been that way, we should not have won a share of that, of that championship. I don't. I'm not advocating that that was should have been that way. But that was how the rules were set up. We had a trophy. We claim it, and it's it's certainly a lot more more legitimate than various national championships that Alabama and you know others. Claim. Oklahoma State uh, stole the national championship from Army when they were beating the Nazis. <laughs> well, that's I mean, that's that thing is just this that I, I, it's not even worth talking about. It's so silly. The big question um, here is, is Texas A&M going to somehow claim a South Division title still? That's um, what I want to know. Are they going to put it put a plaque up somewhere? The South Division of the West Division of the SEC. <laughs> no, you remember two that was it two thousand twenty. It was twenty ten. Twenty ten. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill's Aggie teams. But no, I mean it's understandable. I mean Iowa State understands this. I think they know Matt Campbell is not long for this world. I mean he may very well return as their head coach next year. That wouldn't shock me. But at some point his Graceland is going to call and he's going to answer the call. And yeah, he'll he, he'll go to Michigan or Ohio State or some big 
big job like that. He's he he can afford it. He has earned enough goodwill at Iowa State that even if he has some down years, you know, they're not going to run him off anytime soon. So if I was a Notre Dame fan of the same level that I am an OU fan, um, so just Notre Dame Brady, I would probably not be very happy with um, and his their head coach escapes me right now. Who is their head coach again? Notre Dame. Yeah. Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly. I want to say Jim Kelly. <laughs> um, I would be very annoyed with Brian Kelly because it just never seems like he can put it all together. Now, obviously, this year is a little bit different. They do have a shot at a playoff, but I think no one really expects Notre Dame to really threaten for the national title. So, I mean, people are still would still be kind of shocked if they beat Clemson in the ACC title game in the rematch with Trevor Lawrence this time. So I would be a little mad that this is the year that you decide to put a good team together, beat the number one ranked team in the country, albeit without Trevor Lawrence, the year where we could potentially get a really good coach in Matt Campbell to basically take your job because we've seen what Brian Kelly Notre Dame is, and it has a ceiling. I would probably want to go, I want to get Matt Campbell, but now that's probably not going to happen this year. So I'm expecting Matt Campbell to come back next year, but they're losing so much talent next year. And then they got to come to Norman with fans more than likely. So, I mean, enjoy it while it lasts cyclones. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, this is their, this is, I think if they're going to do anything, this is the year they're going to do it. And I don't think, I don't think they're going to do it, but uh, you know, they're sitting sixth in the sixth in the rankings and, I'm sure they're all really excited about that, um, but I, I don't think it's going to do them any more good than it did Missouri when they were number one before the Big 12 championship game a few years ago. So, Yeah, no kidding. And actually, we didn't even talk about that when we started uh, talking today, but I mean, did, did you have a thought about the college football playoff rankings? Because, I mean, I know everybody, everybody does. I mean, Florida falling to seven despite losing to an awful LSU team. I guess that game just didn't matter. Um, I, I can't, it, it, I mean, the, the, the thing about the BCS rankings was that, you know, I think people found them, they didn't like them because they weren't the way that the polls would have worked it before. And so they wanted to flip completely the other way and put it in the hands of people to make the decisions. And they, then they do. And, and admittedly, I mean, with teams having played different numbers of games and all, all these cancellations, I mean, it's a hard job on the best of seasons this year. It's a nightmare, but I mean, some of the stuff that they've done, I mean, Florida only drop in one spot, Georgia, who's gotten blown out twice. Now, admittedly, they got blown out by some good teams, but um, they've got, they have two losses and they got blown out twice and they're at eight. Florida is at seven. And the only reason they didn't drop below seven is because they couldn't put them below Georgia because they blew out Georgia. And it sort of all becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once you put, like one team somewhere, then it affects all these other teams because, well, you know, because of these other things that happened, you can't put them there. And then you've got, you've got Cincinnati and coastal Carolina who are undefeated and Cincinnati is, you know, if, if it was a regular season, neither one of them even undefeated would be as high as they are. Um, you know, but, but uh, if you compare the resumes in terms of the good wins they have and no losses, I mean, coastal Carolina has got two top 20 wins um, and no losses, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand it. I don't get hung up on it. I don't, uh, but I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the BCS, if you followed college football for a few years, like really closely as a diehard fan or as an analyst or what have you, 
Yeah, it's a little weird to basically say computers decide who plays where, who's the best team in the country, and yada, yada, yada. But if you followed the sport for a few years, you kind of found it to become consistent. Now, it was tweaked every year, like strength of schedule would matter, then it wouldn't matter, then it would matter just a tad the following year. Like they would tweak it, but you could always find consistency with it. So you maybe it was just because I became comfortable with it, but I've never been comfortable with the committee. And you, no, you, no, me neither. I, I mean, and I had the whole, I mean, the whole BCS thing, I had that, you know, I had that down and I knew how they, I knew how all the bowl uh, setups worked and, you know, what happened when, what happened when, you know, one, one conference came out of their regular bowl to play in the championship game and how that was filled and all that. Uh, so, I mean, I knew that thing backwards and forwards and yeah, with the committee, I mean, in a normal season, you do get a bit of, a bit more, um, a bit more of a feel for it because you don't have all these inconsistencies and in schedules and things, but, yeah. but yeah, it's still not anything like what the BCS was. Yeah. I guess like Florida at seven, just like I said on Twitter, they're at seven because if they pull an O three Kansas state against Alabama, then they're not far enough away from the top four to catapult back into the top four. And then if that happens, Alabama is also just, well, they lost the number seven team in the country, so they should still be in the playoff, right? So it's just the self-fulfilling prophecy that you kind of referred to a little bit earlier, but enough about that. So let's yeah. get into some uh, entertaining talk, at least for me, uh, games of the past. And I'll just, I'm going to go ahead and do you a favor. We are not going to talk about the 03 national title because no one wants to hear about that crap anyway, other than it was probably very, very cold. <laughs> OU is uh, 10. Well, the, the 03 national title or the 03? 03 big, big tall title. Yeah. No, it was very cold. Yeah. I, OU... I actually, I never leave early and I left early. When did you uh, leave? Uh, about the time Paul Thompson came in. Oh, man. I left almost a quarter early, which is very unusual for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have, I've been to 370, whatever games in a row and I can count on, I think probably one hand, if not at worst, both hands, the number of times I've left, I've left voluntarily left early. I did leave a bowl game early one year because I had a flight and the game ran long. I had to leave or I would be stuck in El Paso. So, um, which is, you know, you don't want to be stuck in El Paso. Oh, no. So the Sun Bowl 2009. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine USC as well. Uh, I did not leave that game early. Kudos to you. I wanted to leave early. Um, people were getting into fights in the section in front of us. It was the whole thing was just a bad scene. But as my wife pointed out, if we leave early, cause we had gone on a package deal. If we leave early, we're just going to go and sit in the bus in the parking lot. It's not like we can go get in the car and leave. So you might as well sit here and be more comfortable and watch how, well, however this is going to turn out, you can at least stay, say that you stayed the whole time. So. Yeah. Um, I always, the one thing that if there was anything to ever be happy about that disaster of a game, it's that Jason White's final play as an Oklahoma Sooner was a touchdown pass to Mark Clayton, his final play as an Oklahoma Sooner. I don't so. even, I don't even remember. I don't even remember what happened that late in that game. I will, I, I will say this, and this is kind of a, it's kind of a sad story, but it's, it's also kind of a, it's kind of a good story when you talk about that game. A very close friend of mine, um, his his father actually had a heart attack during that game while he was watching it on TV and passed away. Oh no! Uh, but when he when it happened, we were winning. Oh. 
<laughs> and his dad was a huge OU fan. And literally we have said since, since that time, we'll bring it up occasionally. Well, you know, at least your dad went out thinking we were winning the national championship. Oh man. Uh, and I don't mean hard. that to be, I don't mean that to be morbid, but it's, it's, you know, I would, if that happened, <laughs> if that happened to somebody in my family, we, we would say the same thing after the fact. So that is certainly shared over here as well. But um, let's, I guess, o, OU Big 12 championship games. I've only been to one. I went to uh, 2010 against Nebraska, which is, Obviously, the last time we've played Nebraska until hopefully next year, if we get a, a normal season and we're able to play non-conference opponents, because Nebraska is scheduled to come to Norman uh, for the game of the century, 50th anniversary. I can't remember how I can't do math. Um, so that <laughs> yeah, game was that's next year. Yes, yeah, that game was very fun. Nebraska outnumbered us like basically like 60 to 40 from what I could remember in the stadium. Um, and it was a perfect old school OU Nebraska game. It was like God came down and said, this is the last time these two teams are going to play. So let's basically just play the hits. Nebraska is going to go up big early and then OU is going to come back and win because that's what the OU Nebraska series was in the seventies and the eighties, not necessarily the nineties, but that was kind of the, the finale for that series. And that to me was exciting. But the one thing that my big experience from that game was that was the first time that I'd been, at uh, Jerry World because it had been built what a year or so before, and we're sitting up in the nosebleeds, my dad and my two cousins, and so the the big you know screen TV is directly at I I you know like right in front of us, and I couldn't help but watch the first half on the TV screen, and we're down seventeen to nothing, and then I'm like okay screw this, and so I watched the field and we started making plays, so I was like I can't watch the TV in front of me, I have to watch the field. And then the game kind of went as it went. Yeah, and and that that game sticks out to me because uh, that was the last time I had I got really good seats for a for a Big Twelve championship game. We were actually in the lower level, about the I don't know twenty five or thirty yard line. Um, uh, since then, we're always in Jerry World. We're always in the in the end zone, like on the second level up, or in the end zone lower level, or something like that. So, but. Uh, yeah, that that game we were a train wreck the, at the beginning, and then by the time we got to halftime, I can't remember. If we, I think we had tied it up by halftime, or were down by three. I can't remember which. Yeah. And then the second half was just a total defensive struggle, and I, if I recall correctly, it was tied at halftime, and there was only one field goal in the second half, if I remember right. Um. But but yeah, and that was that was uh, Nebraska's swan song, and it was good that they got to leave on a on a losing note. So. Yeah, it was OU. I think won by three, and the reason why, other than I can just easily look it up, but well, it was twenty-three I'll, to twenty. I think was the final score. Yeah, but Nebraska at the time they had a kicker that could kick the ball about sixty yards, and so they had the ball last. And I'm just thinking, God dang it, they're gonna get to the, they're gonna get in some wild field goal range with this kicker, and he's gonna boot some gigantic kick, isn't like, and this is gonna go to overtime. But um, no, that was that was fun. Uh, one of my favorite plays from that game. <laughs> because I'm not the biggest Landry Jones fan, unfortunately. Um, but one of his best plays is a Sooner, and it was a great call by Kevin Wilson. It was a fourth and one, if you remember this, and they lined up in the I formation. DeMarco Murray is the tailback, and Landry Jones under center takes the ball and just executes an awesome fake handoff to DeMarco Murray, and the Nebraska defense just swarms to DeMarco, and then Landry just slowly turns the corner 
and runs downfield very slowly, about 25 yards for a first down. Well, that and, was the only way that Landry could run. Yeah. Very slowly. <laughs> you know, you, you, you still see the, the gif of him running at the combine occasionally with his knees coming up and hitting him in the chin. And, you know, he oh, wasn't man, the yeah. fast, he wasn't the fastest guy in the world. Yeah. I don't remember that specific play. There's a, there's another play about that game that sticks out is that, um, uh, Nebraska had a fake punt on and I can't remember. It seems like it was Mike Stu. Somebody sniffed it out and we called timeout right before they snapped the ball. And Bo Pelini was as pissed as I've ever seen him. I mean, and, and that's saying something for Pelini. He was as pissed as I've ever seen him on the sidelines because we sniffed it out. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, you know, and I don't know, I don't know if he ever acknowledged it or after the game or whatever, but I mean, it was definitely, we figured out something was up and called timeout to keep them from doing it and then put in punt safe and they couldn't do it. So uh, that <laughs> sticks out to me for some reason about that game. Yeah. The Kenny stills had a big game to Mark Murray, I think had over a hundred yards uh, price Macon just randomly had a great game as a defensive end. I think he had three sacks. I believe price that's why, if I remember, yeah, right. like, like he had just been, you know, no disrespect. He had just been a guy in the rotation basically his entire OU career, and he just explodes that day. So basically anytime that that happens since that game, I've always kind of thought, who won the price making award for this game? Just somebody that never does anything, but all of a sudden just had a game of their career that you're probably going to remember and talk about on a podcast, you know, 10 years later. So other, th other than the Nebraska game, I mean, of course, fans are going to point to OU Kansas State in 2000 because of where that led. So that was also very cold, but it had obviously a much better ending than the 03 date with Kansas State. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I've 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 gone back and done the math. There there have been 18 Big 12 championship games since the first one in 1996, and I have been to 12 of the 18, which is two thirds. Um, and if you think about it, OU's only played in 11, so I did go to one that we weren't in, which was the first one because it was a new thing. And I thought, well, it's going to be really cool to, to, uh, you know, to go to the conference championship game. It was a, it was a new thing. And, and I don't know that I had any illusions in the year of John Blake that we would make it there, but <laughs> um, you know, it's at the time TWA airlines still existed uh, and you could, you know, they, they were based out of St. Louis and so they had direct flights. So I hopped to hopped the flight that morning, flew up, went to the game, went to the casino next to the stadium afterwards, and then got on a plane later that night and flew back home. Didn't even have to spend the night. So, and we had beaten, we had beaten Texas that year. So I wore my, I wore my OU jacket and got a few dirty looks, but it was okay. Yeah. Um, Nebraska loses to Texas in that inaugural big Toll championship. Priest Holmes had the, big run in the game and i like every time like uh espn would like do like a flashback to like the big Twelve championship games of old because they can only obviously go back to 96 the one thing i just remember about that because i was i would have been six years old for that game is priest holmes taking off and brent musburger saying no one's stopping the priest i i, I miss brent musburger's voice I, I i wish he still called college football games even though he half the time just kind of stares at co-eds in the stands so I had a I had a, a joke about stopping priests, but I'll just keep it to myself. <laughs> um, yeah, so 
other than well, and Musburger, Musburger is the play-by-play guy, radio play-by-play guy for the Las Vegas Raiders, by the yeah. way. So you can still hear him do it. And he's got, uh, they score a touchdown or something. He goes jackpot, baby. <laughs> he's living the dream right now, living in Vegas. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah he, he he was the king of whenever a meaningless point was scored and it affected my friends the in the spread. desert. Yeah, my friends in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> Oh man, I, I miss I miss the early two thousands of college football. But I miss uh, I miss going to Vegas. You're gonna make me sad. Oh yeah, no kidding. I miss I going to, been to in, I haven't been to Vegas in uh, in uh, going on a year and a half now, and usually I go about four or five times a year. So. Oh wow, yeah, I'm not gonna go to obviously didn't go to summer league for the NBA last July for reasons, and probably not gonna go this season because there will be no summer league because the NBA will still be playing in July. So every, up is down and down is up. But yeah, it'll uh, be 2022 before anything gets back on a normal regular schedule, schedule for the NBA. Now college football might be on at least by the time the regular season starts next year, might things might be normal or pretty close to normal, you know, by September 2021. Yeah, uh, but you know, spring practice is going to still be messed up, and and you know, recruiting is still going to be messed up because they're still in a dead period until April, I think. Oh, please, just have a normal, normal twenty-one, please. We deserve it, please. Yeah. Um, it was two thousand seven against Missouri one of the more fun Big Twelve championship experiences, just because of everything that went into that game, and then what actually happened in the game with OU just dominating basically from the second quarter on. Well, and if I remember right, that was the year that, uh, that was the year that, I mean, I, I do remember, I mean, the game was in San Antonio, Missouri was number one and their only loss was to us in Norman earlier in the season. And they came in, you know, thinking they were something and they weren't, but it's Missouri. And I, and I, 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 I will confess to, to, a long-standing and deep-seated uh, dislike of Missouri and its fans, um, mostly due to 8:30 Friday night basketball games at Kemper Arena during the Big Eight tournament, Ooh. where the Missouri fans had been there since the before the first game at 11 in the morning and had been drinking the entire time, and you know were ready to come across the aisle and fight you. Uh, for any perceived slight, like, you know, cheering for your team or anything <laughs> like that. Um, so, so Missouri is trash and will always be trash and they can have as whatever success they have is too much. Um, so, and I felt that way at the time when they were still in the conference. And so it was very satisfying uh, to, to, you know, have their, what at the time and probably I guess since was their best season in living memory, uh, you know, turned into the Alamo bowl or wherever they ended up uh, because only because we beat them twice. So, yeah. So Missouri came into Norman. That was a college game day game. Um, they came in with chase Daniel and I think it was, it was a back and forth game. And then at one point, I think Missouri had an 11 point lead um, in the third quarter, late third quarter, early fourth quarter. I can't remember. They had an 11 point lead or so. Oh, you kicks a field goal. Missouri gets the ball back at the time. My season tickets with my dad, we were in the Northwest corner of the end zone, which I've always said is the loudest part of the stadium was just the North, uh, the North end zone. It might be different now since the South end zone is bold, but North end zone was always so loud and Missouri gets the ball back. 
And on their first play, they run that little jet sweep. Chase Daniel drops the ball. Curtis Lofton picks it up and then carries Chase Daniel into the end zone. And that was the loudest I had ever heard the stadium. And I'd even been to the Texas Tech game in 08. So um, that was awesome. But yeah, like they go into the Big 12 title game a few weeks later going, well, we beat Kansas. So now we're ranked number one because Kansas was actually kind of good that year. And we had an 11-point lead in Norman, and we let it slip away. That's that's the year Kansas went to the Orange Bowl, isn't it? And beat Virginia Tech, yeah. And they had NFL players, like, littered all over their team. Akib (laughs) Tlaib is the one that sticks out. Yeah, and, oh, his other cornerback buddy, when they they both played for the Broncos at the same time, uh, Chris something. They were both starting cornerbacks at Kansas, and then they later played for the Broncos at the same time. Yeah, and, and, and I remember the thing I remember about Kansas's success that season was that we didn't play them. I remember neither did that. neither did Colt McCoy or Texas. Yeah. So. So they had just gotten they had like gotten the the luckiest draw scheduling wise, and then when they decided to have a really good season. So and and power to them, you know. I I don't hold. I mean, I've seen. You know, I've been at in Lawrence when they've beaten us and torn down the goalposts and thrown them in the lake behind the press box. But I don't hold that against them because it's Kansas. They should enjoy their successes when they find them on the football field. So I don't begrudge them that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, they they were just lucky they didn't play us that year. <laughs> Again, it goes back to what we were saying about just, you know, you need lucky breaks every once in a while. And Iowa State seems to be at least hoping that those lucky breaks continue on to Saturday. But other than 07 Missouri, I mean, 08 Missouri was pretty anticlimactic other than the fact that unfortunately DeMarco Murray got hurt um, early in that game on the kickoff return. He of course then missed the national championship against Florida. Um, 06 Nebraska was bitter cold. I hear it was, but, but it did have the drive. Uh, yeah, Mal- Malcolm Kelly and Paul Thompson, Paul Jermaine, Thompson. Uh, freshman Jermaine Gresham with a big catch on a third and 10 that seemed like it was a third and forever on our own one yard line to set up that well, drive. And, and wasn't Nebraska's quarterback in that game? Isn't he now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals? Yeah, Zach Taylor, a Norman High uh, alum. Yeah, because he, if I remember, he didn't, he didn't go to nebraska right out of school he transferred there from somewhere else i think from yeah or something yeah and his dad had played at ou because he was in the stands wearing a nebraska like a half hat half. yeah yeah, yeah I, I i'd like it when the people are in that situation i'd much rather see him wear like a hat from one team and a shirt from the other team than yeah. you know when they like cut two jerseys in half and sew them together i'm like that's just stupid you're ruining two <laughs> perfectly good shirts <laughs> um like that game had one of my favorite in-game interceptions that i've ever seen that had nothing to do with it being like a weird acrobatic play so like the lsu florida interception i don't know if you saw but it bounced off the boots yeah that or the osu um interception against us in 2010 in stillwater where the guy tipped it from midair and and and, you know i don't mean interrupt you but that lsu interception you know they were worried they were they were like Parson on the broadcast there, Parson was, you know, was the, was that, uh, was that second or was the first LSU guy that it hit standing out of bounds when it hit him. I'm like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From the Kansas game. Yeah. Because if you can be standing out of bounds and like, if you could be standing out of bounds and cause a fumble, then I don't know how you could be standing out of bounds and the ball bounces off of you and it's out of bounds. That's same should be the same rule. 
It's like there needs to be uniform rules and regulations across the landscape of college football almost. It seems like it should well, be that and, way. And as it turned out, it didn't make any difference because neither one of those LSU guys on that play were out of bounds. But but that was the thing that came to mind. They're, an, they're analyzing that. I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. I learned that two weeks ago. <laughs> um, but those I would consider just crazy, acrobatic, just freak interceptions. This one in the 06 Nebraska Big 12 title game was just Zach Taylor – caught a pass like he threw a pass and at this point i think it was 21 7 i think that ended up being the final score if i'm not or 21 17 or something like that the game was was, 21 17 yeah the game was over um zach taylor throws a ball uh into the end zone the guy streaks wide open and the camera angle all you can see is that guy running down the sideline wide open with him looking at the ball and then nick harris just comes from way like way off camera and just dives straight in front of it like he's basically defending the president from being shot yeah, he's like taking a bullet yeah and catches it inbounds at the at the uh pylon and the ref immediately just says you know first down oklahoma interception that was just it was just a red that. swoosh just whoom yeah well in that game i looked that game it was 21 to 7 i don't know why i was thinking it was 21 17 but because i think it was 14 to 7 when we went on that long drive and yeah, Nebraska was slowly getting momentum and we were having terrible field position and the, the feeling was they're going to score at some point and this will be tied and our offense hasn't done anything until that drive. Right, right. Yeah, that's just... I, I don't have photographic memory of it and it was throwing me off because I, was, I wasn't remembering the circumstances of the of that last drive, but it was more of a clinching thing. It wasn't a, cl- it wasn't a come from behind yeah. you know, thing, so... And of course, yeah. frankly, I think the 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 long clock killing, you know, soul crushing length of the field drives where you score a touchdown and and you know suck the life out of the game, or even when you don't score a touchdown and you just you know kneel it down on the other team's two yard line. That's almost that's almost worse than going ahead and scoring. Well, I enjoy uh, that a lot. <laughs> oh, you oh you did that in what can technically be considered a Big 12 championship against Oklahoma State in 2016 when P. Ryan took the knee. So Yeah, when he took the knee. Yeah, I have, a, <laughs> I have a, an autographed – I have an autographed – I don't know if it's an 8 by 10 or bigger, but I have a, a P. Ryan autographed uh, photo uh, – I have that photo autographed by P. Ryan here in the office somewhere. I haven't, I haven't framed it yet, but I have it. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Samaje probably loves signing those pictures. He probably just is like, this is no one signs a picture like this except for except for me so it's very unique well and and you know that came up uh earlier this season because uh uh, in the in the indiana penn state game uh you know penn state was up one and indiana went you know it was late in the game indiana went for it on fourth and whatever from their own like 15 and you know like a minute and a half left turned it over on downs and then penn state immediately and indiana let them scored on the next play to go up by eight and i'm like and I tweeted it out too. I was like, uh, you know, hello, Penn State, with a picture of him taking a knee. Yeah. Um, same thing happened to Texas Tech against Texas earlier this year. You know, yeah. they got a guy broke loose for a long run, and he just went ahead and scored instead of taking a knee. And you know, they end up they end up losing in in double overtime because uh, Ellinger did one of his things that he does at the end of the game, and they recovered an onside kick and all this other nonsense. So. <laughs> unfortunately but it's uh, it's hard to tell somebody not to score but a lot of times it's the better it's the better option (laughs) um one of the probably the most forgotten ou big 12 championship 2002 colorado 
with uh, um, I don't know if that was a Joel Klatt Colorado team, but Nate Hibble was OU's quarterback. Quentin Griffin, I think, was the MVP of that game. Uh, it was it in was, Houston. It was a dirt field. Was it was a dirt field because OU's jerseys were just all just filthy by the time the game was over. Yeah, and for for some reason that is known only to God and Dan Beebe, they decided to have the roof open. Now, normally in early December in Houston, that's not a big deal, but it was like in the 40s. I mean, it was it was not Kansas City cold, but it was definitely cold for Houston. And it was cold in the stadium, and they had the stupid roof open. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's probably why Houston hasn't won anything of note that they uh, won fair and square in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, well, decisions I, I like say- that. I will say this about that game is that's the last good thing that happened to us in that building. Yeah. Um, what? So Houston, obviously in 2016, is that, is that it? The final four. Oh yeah. You're right. It was same in, year. It wasn't Reliance stadium. Oh God. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. You want to talk about leaving early? I left, I left early in the second half of that game. I would have just left because I did. I wouldn't want to see Buddy Heald sitting on the bench like that. It's like this dude deserves better than what the, well, what's and, going and normally on. I, norm, normally, I wouldn't have left, but um, I started checking because I had you know booked my flights and stuff to come back Tuesday after the championship game, and I started checking flights. I'm like, yeah, I'm not getting out of here on Southwest Airlines until Wednesday, and it was Saturday. Yeah. And I then I was like, well, what if I check tonight? And there was a flight that was leaving in like an hour and fifteen minutes, and there was room on it. So I'm like, I'm going to the airport <laughs> and I yeah. made it on the, I made it on the flight. I was still wearing all my OU stuff. And, and somebody on the plane was like, Oh man, did you see what's happening in the game down at the final four? I was like, dude, I was at the game. <laughs> yeah. I was back on the ground in Oklahoma city right before the second game of the final four ended. That's how oh, quick I got back. <laughs> gosh, More power to you. I, I left my house in Norman at the time. I was like, I'm going to go get a margarita at Tarmahara's. And I showed up and I didn't even think about it, but there are like literally 12,000 TVs at Tarmahara's and they're all gigantic. And I walked in and all I see is Buddy Heald's like sad face on the bench. I'm like, oh, what did I do? So um, any any final thoughts uh, for anything? I mean, Big 12 Championship memories or mainly even Iowa State on Saturday, which you will, of course, be attending. Yes, I got my, they, they emailed me my tickets uh, the other day and uh, a couple of days ago. Matter of fact, while we've been talking, I got the email about bowl game tickets uh, from the, from OU, which is interesting because it's like, oh, well, you know, if it's the Fiesta Bowl or the playoffs, you can't have tickets. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love for us to go to huh. the playoff, but I'm really hoping for the Cotton Bowl because at least if we go to the Cotton Bowl, I know I'll get to go. Here's um, the, uh, here's the weird thing. Because I've seen some bowl projections where if OU goes to the Fiesta Bowl, they're playing USC, which obviously that means OU loses the Big 12 title, which I don't want. But in that event, it's like, hey, you're playing USC in a Fiesta Bowl. That's not bad for how this season has gone. And I would like to get some revenge against USC. That would be cool. Um, And then a poll projection where OU beats Iowa State, goes to the Cotton Bowl, and then plays Cincinnati. And I'm just like, I've seen that movie before. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, having been to the Boise state game and then going to the, the uh, Cincinnati, the Connecticut game a few years later, it wasn't quite the same because Connecticut wasn't, wasn't as highly thought of as Boise. And of course we thumped them. Yeah. But um, 
you know, I, as long as we go to the Cotton Bowl, what I'd really, really like to have happen is we go to the Cotton Bowl and play A&M. Oh, yeah. Um, that would be my, you know, other than going to the playoff, that would be my ideal bowl matchup would be to go to the Cotton Bowl and play A&M. Now, um, you know, we could or or Georgia or Florida. That would be good, too. But a- A&M would be particularly uh enjoyable i think yeah there are multiple scores to settle with you know those three teams and then usc so hopefully ou wins the big 12 title game on saturday hopefully um no injuries of course everybody's healthy and safe and of course mr road warrior yourself hopefully safe travels for you to uh, i know it's not technically dallas but let's or i'm just gonna say dallas safe travels to dallas and back i'm going to dallas i'm staying we we stay in the same hotel we stay at for ou texas which is in dallas and then we we drive over so uh, but yeah, I appreciate that. I'm going to leave tomorrow. Uh, got some some work to do in the afternoon, and once that's get that gets done, we're going to head down and uh, go to the game, and you know, hopefully, uh, as usual, leave uh, leave victorious. So, and then with with a whole, if we go to the if we go to the Cotton Bowl, then we have a whole ten days to get ready for the bowl game. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think 2008 Oklahoma would have loved 10 days to just in between the Big Tall title and the Orange Bowl against Florida. I think they would have loved the quick turnaround. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not such a big deal this year because it's not like you're going to go a week ahead of time and do all the events and everything else. You're pretty much going to roll yeah. in like it's a regular road game, you know, maybe an extra day before, but that's about it. And you roll in, play the game, and you're done. So. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, God, I mean, God help any opposing defensive coordinator that will have basically nine days to prepare for a Lincoln Riley offense, whoever that is going to be. I mean, God help you. Cause it ain't going to be easy. Yeah, but everybody. No, I agree. Thank you so much to the road warrior. You can follow him once again at OU at OU road warrior on Twitter. Uh, like he boasted last week, he just cracked a thousand followers. So let's keep that going. Awesome. Awesome. Inside OU listeners help us out. And, are you're still doing your because uh, I actually pulled up a Sooner Spectator about two weeks ago and I saw that you're still you have your uh, Road Warrior thoughts uh, article right. in there. Yeah, I get a page not in every issue because I don't I don't write for the recruiting issues and some of the other ones, but uh, you know every football season issue and the football preview and stuff I get a page. So yeah, I've got a I've got a column due uh, I've got a column due Sunday morning after the Big Twelve game. So. Looking forward to that one then. So check out Sooner Spectator Magazine, everybody, because I know, just like me, I like OU content. So go support everything. But everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU Podcast. We will talk to you next time, hopefully after an Oklahoma victory against Iowa State in the Big 12 title game, sometime Saturday evening, Saturday night. But we'll let you know, everybody. Thank you so much.